Next week is um, our Commitment Sunday in this series we've been doing on uh, our next step of faith. So uh, if you're just joining us, you know, uh, on the surface what this is, is it's a, uh, a campaign to help reduce our mortgage and we even pray we can eliminate it. And, uh, and our next step of faith is sort of that next step to trust God with uh, what would be a meaningful and a joyful sacrifice that, uh, that each of us, um, single people, households, married people, uh, whatever we can, can do. Uh, and the point is not, you know, that we're expecting everybody to make equal gifts, but we are asking for everybody to consider what would be a, a meaningful sacrifice. Um, and then everybody would do that. Uh, so next Sunday is the Sunday when we're going to be asking everyone to, uh, to bring your commitment card and uh, make that three-year commitment. Uh, what you're going to get in the mail this week is a letter like this, and it'll explain you know, better than I'm able to do right now uh, what next Sunday's about. It'll have your uh, commitment card and brochure in it, and so you just look for this in the mail and, and read that. Bring that card with you next Sunday, and, uh, and there'll be a collection box in the foyer for you to... Uh, to put that card in. Uh, today what we're doing is a bit of a ministry uh, profile, a, a, a vision Sunday. Uh, and uh, So this is an abbreviated service actually, and we're going to have an extended time for GraceWorks, uh, as, as we call it. And uh, in just a moment, we're all going to kind of be divided into four groups, and we're going to go to four different stations before we end up uh, and and you know, finish in the fellowship hall for a really great meal together. Uh, and everybody is invited to that meal. Uh, it's um, it's going to be a terrific time together. So what we're going to do right now is see how the kingdom of God applies uh, to what we're doing right now. We're going to just step back. I'm not really going to talk or preach about money, um, even though that's been an important theme for this series, uh, because what we're going to do, do today is just look at the kingdom of God. Uh, so we're going to look at things like the message of Jesus. We're going to look at ministry in relation to the kingdom. We're going to look at missions and mercy. And lastly, multiplication. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 4. And let's stand in honor of God's word. Let me read verses 17 through 25. From that time... Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your kingdom. As we have prayed already, we, we pray again and say amen again that may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth in Augusta County in Waynesboro, in Stanton, in Tabernacle, in each one of us, may your will be done as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So this is a good passage for us to get an overview of what the kingdom of God's about. I want to begin with the message of Jesus. We're going to talk about ministry and missions and mercy and multiplication, but, but let's, let's talk about how Jesus, in verse 17, uh, I want you to see that this is the beginning of his public ministry. His message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then you get to verse 23, and we're reminded again of the nature of his message, that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What gospel did Jesus preach? When you hear the word gospel, what, what comes to mind, what was Jesus' message? Well, his message, as we're told here, is the message about the kingdom of heaven. It's the message about the gospel of the kingdom. Is that what you think of when you hear the word gospel? Another way to put it is, is there a difference between the gospel, as we sort of conventionally understand it, and the gospel of the kingdom? Are they the same message? You ever thought about that? Is there a difference between the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom? Or are they the same? Well, I think one of the things that, you, you know, maybe you've heard this before, uh, but just hear this by way of reminder and refreshment, that when we think of the gospel, uh, we, can, we need to keep in mind two things. We need to keep in mind Jesus, and we need to keep in mind the Christ. <laughs> that the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And so when you and I hear the word Jesus, you know, um, we, we can remember, as we're going to be celebrating during Advent, that the angel told Joseph to name the child Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins, because the name Jesus is uh, a derivation of the Hebrew Joshua. And Joshua in Hebrew means God saves so the name Jesus really focuses on Jesus' work to come among us and to save us. Uh, to save us. What do we need saving from? Well, we need saving from everything that's broken and wrong with us. But in particular, we need salvation from our sins. That the message of the gospel is certainly a message about how Jesus came to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Meaning, he would bring back together, he would bring at oneness, atonement. It's literally what that word means, to make at one. Uh, to bring back together and to reconcile enemies of God with God himself. So Jesus did that by being the substitute sacrifice for our sins. Um, he endured that death, that separation, uh, that is the sentence for sin that, that affects every one of us. And everybody who believes in Jesus, uh, everyone who repents and believes that Jesus is the one who saves me from my sins and he took the penalty away from me, 
when he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead to demonstrate that the penalty really is done and paid for and it's finished and that we really are reconciled to God when our faith is in Jesus to do that for us, that, that means we're saved. We're saved from our sins. And that's what we conventionally think of when we think of the gospel. Sort of an eternal salvation, a spiritual salvation. And that's well and good, but I, I want to suggest to you that that's not the entire gospel. That is the gospel in kind of the nugget form and the shorthand form, and that's the gospel that most of us learn, whether you're in campus ministry or maybe, you know, you, you had a discipleship plan or whatever, but, but we have to also recognize that Jesus didn't preach, hey, you need to believe in me so that your sins can be forgiven. He certainly did preach that, but he also preached the kingdom of heaven. And he preached this message that had a lot more to do with just saving us from our sins. Um, let me put it this way. If, if that's all we believe about the gospel, then, then we're, kind of, we're kind of doing what happens sometimes when you, when you go, if you've been to Cracker Barrel, you know, I don't know, if you've ever eaten there and had breakfast. I, I can remember when, if you went to Cracker Barrel and they put one of these little beauties on your table, it meant that you were getting 100% maple syrup on your pancakes, right? Do you know you're not getting that anymore? What you're getting, the fine print, what you're getting is 100% pure natural syrup. So you got that going for you. What you're getting is 55% pure maple syrup and 45% cane syrup. But it's all pure and natural, don't worry. Um, But you think you're getting the whole product, but you're really not. You're only getting you know, 55% of what you expect, maple syrup. Uh, it gets worse if, you know, the next weekend you decide, well, Cracker Barrel was nice last weekend, but I, what I really am in the mood for today is a bucket of chicken. And then you head to KFC. And this is, um, this is for your biscuits, presumably, at KFC. This is the honey sauce <laughs> packet. And let me tell you, just beware when you see the word sauce behind the word honey. When you start reading the ingredients, you're expecting honey for your biscuits. And what you start reading is that this is high fructose corn syrup. And then just regular old corn syrup. And then sugar. And you're still kind of waiting for honey, right? Honey comes forth. Because this little packet of honey sauce is a a whopping 7% real honey. But you think you're getting the whole, the whole package. You think you're getting honey, right? And that's the way we sort of view the gospel. We think that that's all there is. But we forget that the message of the gospel is not just about Jesus, but it's about Jesus the Christ. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed Messiah. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah which means that he is God's chosen agent to bring deliverance, to bring salvation in its fullest sense, to bring redemption, to bring restoration, to bring a kingdom. He would be the anointed king, the anointed prophet, the anointed priest, but we're keeping the kingdom in mind here. And when we pray the, the Lord's Prayer, when we pray the, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a sinner's prayer. Because what we're saying is that I'm submitting myself to your authority rather than just kind of doing life according to my own rules, my own way of viewing right and wrong. 
And when somebody trusts in Jesus, they're not just trusting him to take away their sins, but they're trusting him to give them a, a new orientation to life, new life. And that's the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. We bow to him. We say, your will, not mine, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, um, you know, and so on. And this, this, that's the picture of the gospel. It's not just repentance, it's faith. It's not just having forgiveness of sins. It, it is, it's trusting Christ as a savior who now reigns over my life. So as uh, Richard Loveless reminds us, when we hear the, the phrase Jesus Christ, it's not Jesus followed by a meaningless syllable, you know, a meaningless word. What is Christ? I don't know. Last name or something? No, it's a title. And what it means is that Jesus is the ruler of a whole new order of life who has delivered me so that I can be a part of that. And when we see Jesus, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching about the, the kingdom of God. And, and he does ministry and he invites others to help to follow Jesus uh, in this ministry, you see in verses 19 and 20, Jesus calling Peter and Andrew. And he says to them, follow me. And we're, we see immediately they left their nets and followed him. Same for, you know, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Verse 22, immediately they leave their boat and their father and they followed him. They heeded the call to ministry, come, follow me. And then in verse 25, great crowds followed him uh, from Galilee to the Decapolis, all over the place. They were followers. And the kingdom of God is fundamentally a place where we all say, I'm, my identity now is to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to heed his call and become a follower. Uh, a follower is not a very attractive title. If, um, if somebody says, you know, if you overhear somebody, maybe they're talking about you, or maybe you read a, a reference form for you, and, and somebody writes, you know, this person is an excellent follower. You're not sure really how to interpret that. Is that a compliment? Maybe, that, maybe that's a backhanded insult. I'm not really sure. Uh, our, our whole culture is meant to make us leaders, lead, you know, go against the flow, do your own thing, don't, don't be a follower. Uh, if you just want to go on Amazon Books and, you know, do a little bit of a search, when you go and look for books on leadership, you can find uh, over 262,000 titles just on leadership. But guess what happens when you type in followership? 171 titles compared to 200. 62,000. Followership is a real thing. You've probably never heard of it, but you know, we're supposed to be followers. Jesus calls us to follow him. Are, are you heeding that call each and every day when we get out of bed, when we go about our day, maybe you go to school, maybe you go to work, maybe you're taking care of kids, you know, maybe you're making constructive use of, of your retirement, whatever it is, when you get out of bed, are we hearing the call, follow me? There's a kingdom at hand. And there's the king's business to be about. And that's what it means to follow him. So it's easy to, 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 to see, you know, fans or, or followers, whether that's in, in sports, you can see, you know, who their team is, what jersey they're wearing. 
in politics, you know, you can see the bumper stickers or you know who's, you know, exuberant um, these days and who's despairing these days, who's protesting, who's celebrating. You know who they're following. Is it clear to people around you who you are following? Because when you run into a follower, what's the first question that you're going to be asking? Who are you following? And is it clear to people who you and I follow? Can they see from the way that we spend our time, the, the way that we use our words, the way that we use our money, is it clear from them the way that we do relationships? Is it clear to them the way we you know, think about the way we think about our country right now, the way that we think about our church, the way that we think about our, our friends, our grades, our families. Is it evident that we're following somebody? Or are we just kind of marching to our own drummer? Because if you're a Christian, it means that you've bowed the knee and you've given up autonomy. You've said autonomy doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for any human being. We weren't created to be autonomous. We were created to be disciples. We were created to be citizens of a kingdom with a king who we worship, who we follow. And so our, that's our purpose. The ministries of tabernacle exist fundamentally to just enable us to, uh, to, to keep following Jesus. Don't ever complicate what tabernacle's about. Our, our message is about the gospel of the kingdom. Our, our ministries are about following Jesus and helping people who are not yet following him to hear that call very clearly from Jesus, follow me. And then for those of us who have heard that call and have heeded that call, to keep heeding that call, to keep taking the next step of faith as a follower of Jesus. How do I get closer to him? How do I stay in step with him? I don't want to lose my way. I don't want to just wander off. That's what the ministries of Tabernacle are for. We're a church, we do all kinds of things, but, but you know, what, what essentially we're doing is just gathering followers of Jesus. And this is Jesus' message to do ministry as those who are going to call others to follow him and keep following him. That's what ministry is about here. Uh, Jesus is referring, or this passage, I should say, the effect of Jesus' ministry resulted in missions. Because there's this remark in verse 24 about how his fame spread throughout all Syria, you know, all this area around uh, Galilee and Jerusalem. Uh, and, and what is remarkable is that this is his fame spreading, you know, the words getting out about Jesus. Uh, in, the, in the sort of conventional sense, he's becoming a celebrity. But in the true sense, what's happening is that people are recognizing the glory of Jesus, his fame is spreading, um, and, and everywhere from even beyond the Jordan. I love that language. So um, in the back of the sanctuary, maybe you noticed, uh, we have this world map. And, uh, and I, I love how Don Bailey designed it, and it's uh, beautiful to see. But do you know why we have that, that map in our sanctuary? Why, why we put it deliberately, specifically, in, in our sanctuary? Well, it's because it's wood, and it looks pretty. Um, no. It's because it reminds us, of course, that there are the nations out there and the gospel calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Because there are lost people all over the world, you know, and specifically in the 1040 window, as you hear us talking about sometimes. There are people out there who need to hear the message of the gospel so that they can be saved just like we were saved and they can be disciples and follow Jesus just like we're following Jesus. And that's, that's a big part of why we do missions. 
But let me suggest to you that the ultimate reason why we do missions is not simply, you know, we don't look at that map and think, oh, you know, all those people out there don't know Jesus yet. But really when we look at that map, what we should be thinking about is, oh, all those places where the fame of Jesus is not yet spread, where the glory of who Jesus is is not yet known, where we're jealous for Jesus, and we want people to know how wonderful he is. Do you see the, the two sides of that motivation? Yeah, one is it's perfectly good, it's noble to be compassionate and concerned for the lost. Where are they spending eternity? But I want to suggest to you the primary reason for anyone going to the ends of the earth is to see the fame of Jesus spread. You know, you're probably familiar with how, you know, John Piper has expressed it. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is ultimate. Um, Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate not man. So I want you to, just in keeping with this kingdom theme, that map represents the realm of Jesus. Jesus created everything. Everything is his. He's king over all. Can you imagine a kingdom where people don't know who the king is? Or can you imagine a kingdom where people, yeah, they know who the king is, but they're not acknowledging him. They're actually in rebellion against him. And so our passion through missions is to help people know that this is a realm. They exist in a realm that belongs to a a holy and almighty king who is glorious and good and his justice is sure and his mercy is forever. That's why we do missions. And that's what motivates us at Tabernacle. And, And this king who is glorious and who will judge the nations and who's holding everyone accountable and who is righteous and eternal, he is also merciful and compassionate. And then this passage in, Mark, in Matthew 4, we see the mercy of Jesus. And as a, as a church, living out the gospel of the kingdom, we are bringing the healing of Jesus to, to those around us. Uh, verses 23 and 24, you can see the extent of the description of the healing that Jesus brings. He's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. In verse 24, they brought him all the sick and those afflicted. And, you know, he's healing them. He's casting out demons. He's taking care of those with seizures and paralytics. And just that beautiful phrase right at the end of verse 24, he healed them. We're told that twice in this passage, the importance of healing. Matthew's showing us what's a picture of what was important to Jesus as he began his public ministry. It wasn't just preaching and teaching. That is important. But equally important is healing. It will not be neglected. It's not something he does on the side. Because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we get this picture in Matthew. We also get this picture at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke records how Jesus, on a on a day of worship, goes into the synagogue. Right at the beginning of his ministry, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins reading from chapter 61 in our Bibles, but the place in the scroll where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, That's how Jesus inaugurates his ministry, by reminding everybody that the year of the Lord's favor is coming and all of these benefits are going to start to multiply 
These merciful benefits are going to be known everywhere that Jesus goes and the followers of Jesus go. If the master is showing us this is how ministry is done, then we need to do ministry that way, mercifully. And then Jesus is, you know, you, you see all these pictures. Jesus then, he, later on, he validates his ministry to John the Baptist, not by saying, hey, John, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm teaching people everywhere I go. Yes, he's doing that, but when, when he's trying to help John be convinced that, yes, I am the one who was sent, here's what he says. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus went around healing the, the open wounds of the society that he encountered. Whether it was individuals, whether it was, you know, it's whole systems, he was bringing healing to them. He was bringing healing to the, 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 the physical wounds of people. And, you know, just so you know, the first hospitals that ever exist basically were run by Christians. Uh, he was helping feed the hungry. He was, uh, you know, bringing assistance to the poor. He was advocating for the defenseless and the voiceless. He would look at the, where, where is the bleeding out happening? Where are people hurting and suffering? And that's where he would go to. Bringing healing, bringing the goodness, not just the good news, but the goodness of the kingdom of God. That's part of the good news, that yes, eternally, we can go to heaven when we die. But the good news of the gospel is also that God is getting heaven into us and God is bringing heaven to earth and he is making a preview. He is putting on display the glory of the kingdom that will come in all of its fullness. And so as a kingdom, you know, as we, us demonstrating the kingdom, when we preach and when we teach, when we share the good news of Jesus, you know, that's the light. But when we show people the good news of the kingdom, when we show mercy, that's, that's the heat. People need to feel the gospel, not just hear the gospel. And if they don't see the gospel, if they don't feel the gospel for us, you know, we're just, it's just chit-chat. We're just, it's just a message without any meaning. We're like James said. We're, we're you know, faith without works is dead faith. Where a body, a church without mercy, is a dead body, it's a corpse. This is why mercy is so important. Um, when we did a, a class, uh, one of our discipleship classes on mercy, uh, we looked at this quote from a book called When Helping Hurts. We have asked thousands of evangelical Christians in numerous contexts this most basic question, why did Jesus come to earth? And the vast majority of people say something like, Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from our sins so that we can go to heaven. And while that answer is true, Jesus' message is an even more grand and sweeping epic than that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the king who is bringing healing to the entire cosmos. If and only if you repent and believe in me, you will someday enjoy all of the many benefits that my kingdom brings, and even now, a foretaste of them. So, 
why, why are we settling for 55% of the gospel? Why are we settling for 7% of the gospel when the gospel that Jesus was bringing was a gospel of, of mercy? It was a gospel of missions. It was a gospel of, of truth and grace. And ultimately, the purpose of that gospel, the purpose of this kingdom, is that it would keep expanding through multiplication. Verse 19, Jesus tells Peter and John, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter and his brother, that he uh, would said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus not only calls us to follow him, he calls us to call others to follow him. He calls us to call others to follow him. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to multiply. If, 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 imagine all of you are fishermen. Jesus comes up to you and says, follow me. And by the way, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You know, one question we could ask is, have you caught anything lately? Are you even fishing? Uh, are you even heeding that call to be a fisher of people? Uh, someone who is multiplying yourself and bringing in a net of disciples. So, uh, keep in mind, this applies to each one of us, and it goes for each of our, um, um, not only our, our individual lives, but our, our households. Uh, and it, goes, it applies to our work, it applies to our studies. So everywhere we go, you know, we're heeding that call, follow me. And part of that call is, be a fisher of men. When you're at work, be thinking about, you know, who's around me, who has God placed around me, that I am being called to to call them to follow Jesus. And, you know, the, the people you're at school with, you know, you're a student, yes, but you're also called to be a fisherman. Uh, thinking, who's on my team? Who's in my class? That, that I'm, God's calling me to call them to follow Jesus. Um, at the end of the day, you're never going to multiply into other people what you yourself are not. And if you don't hear that call to follow Jesus yourself, you're not going to call anybody else to follow him. So the first question is, are you a follower of Jesus? The second question is, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you calling others to follow him too? Our vision at Tabernacle is not just to, to, to tell you know, and communicate through our mercy and missions and ministry, hey, we're all supposed to be calling others to, to follow him, we're supposed to be multiplying ourselves, but what's true of individuals is also true of congregations, collections of, of individuals. So if individuals are called to multiply, so are congregations. This is our vision for church planting. This is why we believe that church planting is not just an optional way of growing the kingdom of God. It is the way to grow the kingdom of God. It's the way that we see the kingdom growing in the Bible. Churches are multiplying. Churches are being planted. Um, and if you've been around Tabernacle uh, a while, uh, you've heard this. But if you're new, let me remind you, our vision is to reach a whopping 1% of our community. Wow. You know, um, big deal. But when you do the math and you think about all the people that, that live here, it's roughly 120,000 people in Stanton, Waynesboro, and Augusta County. And, wow, so if we reach 1% of them, that's 1,200 people that are in membership, you know, to use that as a measurement, that are in membership of a, of a PCA church, you know, one of our churches in our network, in our church planting, you know, family, whether it's Tabernacle or Holy Cross or Holy Cross is getting ready to plant uh, a, another worship site in, uh, in Fishersville. We're wondering, Lord, where will you lead us to continue to multiply? Uh, the fun thing to think about is the Tabernacle's got roughly 250 members right now. 
Holy Cross has got roughly 150 members right now. So wow, now we're up to 400 members combined. We're a third of the way to, to 1%. I mean, hey, we're, we're getting there. And we want to keep pushing out because this is how the kingdom of God grows, through multiplication of individuals and of churches. So the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message of Jesus. And the kingdom of God is at hand, and it grows through that message continuing to be, to be preached and, and taught. That message grows through the ministries of the church. That, that uh, kingdom grows through the ministries of the church, through missions, through mercy, uh, and ultimately through multiplication. Jesus calls us to follow him. We're all called to take the next step of faith, not just for a stewardship campaign, although we think that's important. What is your next step of faith as a follower of Jesus who has been commissioned to see the kingdom of God grow through you? Nobody on the sidelines, everybody on the field, hearing the call of Jesus, follow me. Make disciples. Grow the kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would grow and expand our vision of your purposes on this planet. Pray that you would help us to to understand more than 55% of your message, or God forbid, only 7% of it, but that we would be growing in our understanding and in our action of what it means to live out the kingdom of God and to be um, men and women and children who follow you to such a, a degree and with such devotion that people can't help but, but see and recognize us as followers of Jesus. And Lord, would you bless each one of us as individuals and as households to continue to follow you, to know what our next step is as your followers. We do pray and pause right now and pray for some particular households. We pray for Aaron and Bethany Mallory. We pray for Dom and Jamie Malia. Pray for John and Lorena McCall and for Annalise and Caleb and Benjamin. We pray for Jason and Jessica McLean, for Kelsey, Caitlin, and Kara. And we ask for your mercy on these families that you would give them a special uh, grace to, to know and see and understand how you are uniquely equipping them um, to follow you and to bless others and to show and, and share the good news of your kingdom. Lord, make that true for all of us. And I pray that this good news, this kingdom that's coming and is, is here uh, to an extent, would be good news to our neighbors, um, many of whom are very bent out of shape, many of whom are very upset about the recent election, many of whom are, are happy but are concerned about um, just the character of our, our new president. Lord, would you give us grace to show a hope that is beyond this nation and beyond the next four years and to, to have an optimism and a confidence that your kingdom is coming and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, make us the ambassadors of your goodness and your good news. And Lord, would you heal this nation? Would you help your people to be agents of that healing, political healing, uh, racial healing, social healing, uh, and all the spheres of our society, the arts, education. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Lord, would you bless our church? 
Would you bless this next step of faith campaign? We do pray that you would help each one of us this week in particular as we prepare for next Sunday uh, to just know what is going to be a meaningful and joyful sacrifice uh, so that we can play our part in fulfilling your purposes at Tabernacle. We pray you would use these tithes and offerings to that end as well. In Jesus' name, amen.